Thanks for listening to the podcast of Hope Church in East Hampton, Connecticut. Our mission is to love God, love people, and serve the world. To find out more about Hope Church, be sure to check out our website at cthope.com. Awesome. Man, uh, big thanks to the worship team. I love um, when the songs match up to what you're going to say, and you don't even know that that's going to happen. Uh, so that's going to be uh, a cool thing uh, today. Uh, real quick note I want to say, um, you saw a trivia, adult trivia night is this Friday. Uh, those are a blast. If you haven't signed up, go and sign up right now. Take out your phone, like I said, throughout the service. Do it now. Uh, ask your friend to go. Ask your partner to go. Whoever, bring a team with you. That's okay. Uh, I messed up this week and forgot to put the link on our events page once our social posts went out. And so some of you were like, I don't know how to sign up. So I fixed that yesterday. So you should be good to go. Uh, make sure you do that. And you uh, may not be graced with my presence uh, this Friday and all of my knowledge in trivia, I know that that really is sad for you. Um, That that is true. When we lose all our money, yeah, exactly. All our points, I mean. Um, Yeah, good stuff. Good stuff, though. So today, uh, we are starting a new uh, series. Here we go. This is a mouthful. Things we need to know, uh, but don't want to hear. And I'm going to get into that. This is going to be a fun um, not the, the message today is not going to be a fun one, but the fun, a fun series um, that I think is going to be super helpful for all of us. But what I'd like to do before we jump into uh, a series, because this series is on a book of the Bible, a book of the Bible called James. And I realize in a crowd this size and people watching online, you might not even know anything about the Bible, where to start, and and what it looks like, and why it was written, and all that kind of stuff. And we might actually do a series on that later this year, but I want to give you at least a little quick overview uh, this morning uh, about God's Word, and why it's important that we we look at this uh, today. And again, bear with me, I think I'm coming down with a cold today, so my, my voice is a little messed up. But when we teach here, uh, Uh, about the Bible, here's the things that are really important for us. This is the things that we're thinking about. We want every series, every teaching that we do to be practical. It's got to be able to be lived out. We do want you to know more about the Bible, but Bible knowledge is not the first thing. We want you to be able to understand how that practically applies to your everyday life. I want you to hear this. Sometimes the Bible gets confusing because uh, you, re- you realize it was not written to us specifically. A lot of times it was just written, again, and this is a long time ago, uh, to various pockets, uh, various churches around the world. It wasn't written to us specifically, but it was written for us. In other words, the Bible is still relevant today, and we want to teach out of that mindset. Uh, This is what um, God says about his word. He goes, it's actually um, a lamp to your feet and a light for your path. That means when you're not sure what to do, where to go, what that next step is, that's where God's word comes in because we get fed the wisdom through that. We're like, oh, maybe this is the next step I need uh, to take. Another thing that um, God's word says is when we get to know it, when we learn it, and, and the, uh, the word, the verse that I grew up in learning was when we hide it in our hearts, it keeps us from things that we know we should not do. 
or at least it brings to mind. Now, we have the choice to, to do those things still. So these are all of the things, these are reasons when we teach the Bible, understand we want you to know more about it. We want you to hear it. We want it to get way deep down inside of you so that you're able to live it out in a very practical way. Now, quick overview on the Bible or scripture, uh, as some people might call it. It's broken up into two sections. Now, now the Bible is not one book. It's actually a collection of 66 different books. And I think there's a slide there, Landon. You can see these are all of the books in the Bible. And it's broken out into two spots. So there's 66 total books in the, in the Bible. And it's broken out into two sections. The Old Testament, which has 39 books, and the New Testament, which has 27 books. And the one we are going to be looking at through this series is over in the New Testament. And you can see right down, you can see kind of all Paul's books. And then it says general, maybe I'm in your way. And it says Hebrews and James. And James is the one that we're going to zero in on today. So New Testament book, here's, here's some uh, quick facts about James. We're good with that slide, Landon. Uh, it might be the very first book written in all of the New Testament. All right, so, so we had all those Old Testament books uh, written and gathered and put together. This one here that we're about to dive into might be the first one written in all of the New Testament. Um, here's another fact, I, and I didn't realize this, but um, the name for James in the Bible is actually the word for Jacob. And so it might be more accurate to call this author Jacob than James. Now we're going to use James because that's how it's titled in the scripture. But it's a very high possibility that actually the name was Jacob and it was just translated a little bit differently down the line. And check this one out. The author is most likely the brother of Jesus himself. So this is Jesus' brother writing this book to us. How about that? Um, maybe we'll get into that a little bit more. Um, you see, because when you grow up with your sibling, there's always that sibling tension, right? You don't want to give them any benefit of the doubt, you know, whatever. And, I, and here's what's interesting. Like, if you look in Scripture, there's a part in the Bible that says, and we conclude from this, that even Jesus' brothers did not believe that he was who he said he was until later. Until all that happened with Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection, and then they realized, oh my goodness, we have been living with God himself, and we didn't realize it, we didn't believe him. So it's just an interesting perspective. Keep that in mind. Put that in the back of your head as we go through this book together over the next five weeks or so. James, or Jacob, became one of the early leaders of the church when this whole thing started and people started to realize that Jesus was the way and they started this group called The Way. James was one of the earliest leaders in the church. In fact, he looks like he was the head of the church in Jerusalem, that very first church. When the Bible talks about like who those pillars were of the church way back when, there's usually three names that are listed. In fact, again, in Galatians, I think it says there are three pillars of the church. It was Peter, it was Paul, and it was James. 
So we're talking about someone who's writing a book here who had a lot of authority, a lot of influence, and a lot of pull in the church. And let me just say this off to the side. We've looked at a bunch of Paul's books. Paul was really called to take the gospel, the good news of Jesus, out to people beyond Israel and Jerusalem. Peter and James were the ones who were really focused in on helping Israelites come to see that Jesus was the Messiah. So again, we have that contrast there. Um, It was probably written anywhere between AD 45 and 50, somewhere like that. And again, just for perspective, and because we've done this before, Paul's books, the earliest were like the early 50s, like 50 or 52 or whatever. So he's just, he's a contemporary of Paul, uh, but he wrote his book before Paul did. And the thing that's also important to know is that this book was written to believers. It was written to followers of the way. It was written to what we would call now as Christians. This was not necessarily a book intended for people who weren't followers of Jesus or weren't followers of the way. And you'll see why once we get into it. There's five total chapters in this book. There are 108 verses And here's what's interesting. Not one of them talk about theology or Jesus or anything like that. In fact, he's very keyed in on this is how you should live. This is how we ought to behave. 54 of those 108 verses have these big, strong, imperative statements. Do this. So it's very, very interesting. It's very, very practical. It's easy to understand what he's saying. When you open the Bible, sometimes it's hard to understand a book. James is probably not that kind of a book. You could understand what he's saying. The question is, do you like what he's saying? And that's what we're going to wrestle through and struggle through uh, today and in this series. We hear you, James. We're just not sure we want to do that. Here's a key verse that I want you to keep in your mind. Again, if you're taking notes, and by the way, notes are online, uh, and also throughout the day you could follow on the screen. This is not on the screen, but here's a key verse for this entire book. James 1.22 says this. Don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Short, to the point. Don't just listen. Some of your verses might say, don't be hearers only, You have to be doers of God's word. And what's the big picture? What is James trying to do? What is he doing in this book? He wants nothing more. This is his heart. He wants nothing more than for Christians, because it's written to Christians in churches, than for them to be mature in their faith. He says, enough with being a baby. Enough with just drinking the milk. You have to get into some meat now. You got to grow up. You can't just stay at that spot. In fact, we get the sense, I get the sense in reading this, that James gets a little aggravated when people don't move on in their journeys. And again, we'll wrestle through that. Because the truth is, unfortunately, the church is often full of immature people. And I, I don't just mean spiritually either. I mean in everyday practical living. And I would echo what James says, that I want nothing more than for Hope Church 
to be able to understand what's happening around them, to see what's going on, and respond in healthy, godly ways. Um, another way I wrote this in my notes is we want to see people who will leave their mark in the world in a positive way. So we all need to know these things, but remember, we may not like what we hear. And by the way, let me just say this. If you get all mad at me, just remember James said it, not me, okay? It's not me. So I want to think about the different people in our life who tell us things that we know we need to know, but we often really don't want to hear it, okay? Like, please. Now, let's just get the elephant out of the room. First people on your list might be pastors, okay? I get that. I don't want to hear it. I know you probably need to hear it. I don't want to hear it. Um, I, I thought of this. Parents. Especially for those of you teenagers, young adults in this room, trying to plead with my kids, hey, we do sometimes know what we're talking about. I know you don't want to hear it, but we've all been through that, right? How about doctors? I'd put them in this category. They're telling you something that's very important. It's critical that you follow what they say. Or hear what they're telling you, and sometimes we just shut that out because we do not want to hear it, right? Um, how about personal trainers? There are, I know there are a couple in this room. If, you have a, if like you're a personal trainer, you're going you're gonna to got to give it to people as it is, but sometimes people don't want to hear it. This is going to take some work for you to get to this particular point, whatever. Uh, maybe it's coaches. Maybe you play sports or whatever, or maybe it's a life coach, right? They, you're paying them to tell you the hard stuff about what you need to do. You don't want to hear it, but you know you need someone. It's safer to not have a friend. Maybe there's somebody, you know, more objective. Uh, but how about that? How about friends? We probably all have a friend that opens their mouth and you kind of roll their eyes because you know it's coming. You don't want to hear it, but you know it's going to come out of their mouth, Right? I didn't drop any names, Roger. So, James, uh, one of these pillars of the Christian faith, Lith, Peter, and Paul, I think he's all of these things to us as he writes this book. Yeah, he may be a friend. He's also a pastor. He's a coach. And I think even though we don't want to hear maybe some of what he's going to say, we need to be able to listen and to hear what he says. So let's dive right in. Are we ready to do this? Okay. Are we ready to do this? Okay. That's better. James chapter one. If you brought a Bible, you could turn there. If not, everything will be on the screen. We also have notes, uh, like I said, online. Here's James chapter one. We're going to start right in verse one. Let's do this. This letter is from James or Jacob, a slave of God. And the Lord Jesus Christ. Interesting that he was his brother, and yet he has this different introduction now. But I'm not going to get into that. I'm writing to the 12 tribes, he says. Jewish believers scattered abroad. I already told you that. He's writing to people who are followers of the way, who are Christians. 
who believe in Jesus. Greetings. Okay? So far, so good. Not too difficult. We can all accept that. By the way, that word greetings is an interesting word. It doesn't mean hello. It means be glad. Rejoice. Kind of like that song we started with today. Be joyful, everyone. Okay, but here it comes. Verse 2. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Wait, what? When troubles come into your life, consider an opportunity for joy? You gotta be kidding me. I mean, all of us in here know too well troubles that come into life. And I don't want to minimize because some of you right now, even today, are going through maybe some of the biggest struggles and sufferings of your entire life. Right now. And I know this because I know some of your stories. And they've caused you to question everything. In fact, it's very possible that some of you are in this room or listening online right now because you have come to the end and you don't know what to do. You don't know where else to turn. You're giving this God thing or this church thing a shot because you have no more inside you. You have done. You're asking all the why questions. You don't know what to do. You don't know what to say. You don't know what to think. You don't even know how to feel. And then you read this James guy who's super direct and gets right to that point in verse 2. Consider this a joyful opportunity. It sounds trite. It sounds demeaning. And frankly, it probably pisses you off a little bit. Right? But I want to warn us. Don't react too quick. I want us to take a breath and step back for a second. I want to hear Jesus' brother out. Because I think we have a lot to learn from him. We have a lot to learn from the one who watched his own brother, his own family, suffer through one of the most excruciating events that can ever happen. Some of the most excruciating pain, not just physically, although it was all of that, but also spiritually, and emotionally. And I think there's something for us here. We have a lot to learn from the person who was martyred for his faith. By the way, James was martyred eventually for his faith, probably about 10 to 15 years after this book. He was either uh, beheaded or stoned or both. So, He's compassionately pleading with us. Did you get that? He goes, dear brothers and sisters, listen to me. Because after all, um, he wants to see people become mature. Look at verse 3. He goes, you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. See, this is the goal. How are we not just going to get through it, but how are we going to grow through it. And James doesn't mince words here at all. You notice what he says? 
He says, when the trials come. Right? Everybody say when. When. Not if. When. You see, it doesn't matter if you're a Christian or a non-Christian. It doesn't matter if you're black or white. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. Regardless of race, creed, personality, affiliation, does not matter. You will have troubles in your life. Now, I want to talk about that word trials. Because, again, different versions say different things. But there's two words mentioned here. When you suffer through trials and temptations, those are the two words that are in this passage, and they're both different. And I can't be 100% sure, but a lot of people would say this. The trials, what that really is meaning is the trouble that comes in from the inside. I'm sorry, I, I said that wrong. The temptations are the struggles that come in from the inside. The trials are the stuff that happens to us from the outside. In fact, actually, the meaning of that word actually means you fall into it. In other words, there are trials and temptations, there are troubles, there are sufferings, there's hardships that come into our life. Sometimes there are faults, and sometimes they're not. Sometimes it just happens. We fall into it. But he also uses this word, tests. And so both of these words carry this meaning of if you have this test, there's something to prove or disprove about its genuineness and validity. In other words, what James is trying to say here is this. When difficulties in life come, and they will, it is a test of your faith. It's going to test the genuineness and authenticity of your faith. And so what James is saying is don't avoid it. Lean into it. Avoiding it is not going to help us. By the way, a lot of you have been trying that. But leaning into it and going through it can, can actually strengthen us. Check it out what he says in verse 4. He goes, let it grow. Does it sound fun? Because when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Now, you won't be perfect in the sense that you might think of it, but what he's saying here is you're going to be mature. You're going to be more mature if you are able to go through this hardship in your life. Because ultimately, troubles test the sincerity of our faith and the maturity of our walk. And so here's the main point. Here's the thing that you don't want to hear, okay? That's what I'm calling it. Here's the thing you don't want to hear. Our suffering can be good for us. Our suffering can be good for us. Your suffering can be good for you. Now, when you're faced with this trials, these hardships, all these things, how do you react? Don't say it out loud. I'm just, ha, think about it. How are you reacting right now maybe to the situation that you're in? Fear? Anxiety? Panic? Anger? Lashing out? Do you retreat and avoid? 
And let me ask you this. Are ultimately any of these things good for you? Is the state that you are in right now helping you? Is the panic, the anxiety, the fear, the anger, the lashing out, the retreating, the avoidance improving your life? So here's the thing. I know this is a heavy, this is a heavy one today. Stay with me. It's all good. You know it's not helping. You already know this. If we were to have a conversation, you would say, you know what, it's probably not helping me. And as difficult as it is to hear, James is saying, dear brothers and sisters, he says, you know this already. You know this, my friends. You know this. You know this. I want to remind you, James says, to lean in and endure this as a gift. And you say, how, Tom, how in the world can struggling and, and all these things go through be a gift? How do I lean into this thing and endure well? Well, let me just kind of talk through some things that I was thinking through this week. And I think also he implies in a lot of what he's saying here, how can your suffering be a gift? First thing, it's, the, it's a test of the authenticity of our faith. Who or what do we turn to in times of trouble. See, because trials, they're exercising your faith. And you say, yeah, I'm not really sure about that, Tom. Well, I'm going to say this. What do you find yourself constantly thinking through, wrestling through, struggling through, maybe even praying through, and you don't know why it's not going away? You see, right there tells me that your faith is being tested and tried it's dominating your heart and mind, and this is going to grow and exercise your faith. This is a gift that can come from your suffering. Second thing I put, it's a test of our humility. It's a test of our humility. Who or what are we exalting in our life? Are we exalting ourselves? Are we exalting something else? And that person let us down, whatever it might be. But it really has this way. You know this. Troubles and hardships have this way of centering us back to, oh my goodness. I never thought this could happen to me. Maybe I need to step back from thinking I know what it means to go through, and it humbles you. Maybe you're not so quick to give quick answers to other people who are struggling anymore. It's a test of humility. Three, it's a test of our dependence. Who or what are we trusting in for our satisfaction? When troubles hit, that begins to rise to the surface for us. It's a test of our hope. Who or what is the hope of our future. What are you putting your hope in? And I'm going to tell you the answer. James talks about your hope cannot be in the things of this world right now. Your hope has to be in something much bigger and much greater. And there is a day where all of these things will pass away because God's going to make it all right. But it does test your hope. It's a test of our love. Who or what are we willing to sacrifice? Here's what's crazy. Again, we don't like this. Jesus said some stuff we don't like either. He goes, you know what? How I know you're really my disciple? If you're willing to leave your father, your mother, your sister, your brother, all those people, and follow. Now, he's not telling people to do that. He's just saying, it's a test of your love going on. It's a test of our endurance. What is being produced in us as we endure 
through this trial and test. And finally, it's a test of our resilience. You see, because it can be a gift to you because in, in turn, once you go through this, you can give it back out to others and help others in their time of trials. How are you going to do that? And so I say, Tom, I don't know how to say thank you for a trial. You know, again, you talk about Christian maturity and being spiritually mature and even just mature in our, in our life. How, how does a Christian do this? How does a mature Christian respond? And I, and I want you to note this. I don't think James is saying you need to be grateful for the trial that comes into your life. This is going to be important. You don't have to say, thank you, God, for this thing. But he is saying you need to understand what it means to be grateful in the thing. Does that make sense? You don't have to be grateful for the hard things that come into your life, but we do expect to be grateful and joyful within that time. We say thank you when we tell God, we know this thing can work for good, God. We're going to claim that promise in Romans. Paul said it, and we're going to trust you with it. And let's be honest here. I don't know that in this lifetime you'll ever see the good that will come out of it. That's not always how it works. But it's an exercise in trust, and it's an exercise of faith. And I don't know about you, but I want for me, when I go through trials and tests and suffering and pain and hardship, that my first reaction becomes one of trust and not anxiety. That my attitude and reaction is one of belief that all things are going to work for the greater good for those who love God because he has a purpose for me. He has a plan for me and he is trustworthy. We just sang about that because he is good. It's who he is. See, our response should have less to do with the outcome of the thing and more to do with the way we react no matter what happens. That's why James, I think, starts right off. He goes, greetings, rejoice. When troubles come your way, rejoice. See, joy is the mature response. You might want to write that down. Joy is the mature response. And I have a question for you. Have you ever met anyone like this? Have you ever met someone who has gone through so much trial, heartache, pain, and suffering, and you walk into that room and you're ready to cry and sympathize, and they have a smile on their face. Or they're going through way more pain than you ever have. What are the feelings that come up when we encounter those people? We're a little bit inspired, right? We, we feel grateful. I, I mean, they're inspiring. I want that to be me. And I think in our best moments, you want that to be you. You say, Tom, but what do I do when I get to the very end? I don't know what to do anymore. I don't know what to do right now. What do I do when I need something and I don't know where to turn? And I don't know how to trust God. Verse 5, James chapter 1. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God. And he will give it to you. If you need wisdom to get through this thing, the best answer I can tell you is give it to God because God wants to hear you and answer that because he's good and he's for you. Actually, that verse goes on to say, he's not gonna even rebuke you for asking. Lay it on me. 
He has big shoulders. So I love looking back at the Psalms. By the way, um, if, you, if you look at the book of James, a lot of people compare it to the wisdom books in the Bible, like Psalms and Proverbs, because it's so declarative and it so, um, uh, has all these commands or whatever. The Psalms and Proverbs are like that. They're super practical. They're super helpful for everyday life. And if you look at the Psalms and you see the writers, like they are talking about some heavy stuff right there, and they just lay it all out. And God's okay with that. If you need wisdom, See, when we realize that God is sovereign and in control, and when we give over all of our control, we, become to, we come to grips with the thing that we already know deep down, that if we can endure suffering, if we can get through it, we will be better. That's hard to hear. We don't want to hear that. But my friends, Hope Church people, you need to hear that today. Here's some truth from scripture as we wind down this today that I want to encourage you with, if that's even possible. I want to help you with some perspective changes that maybe you've forgotten or maybe you're not thinking about because you're just in the middle of it all right now. Think of these as declarative statements about who God is and what he says about what you're going through right now. First thing, life is hard, but God is good. Life is hard, but God is good. Do you believe that today? Two, life is hard, but hardship can be a gift if I allow it to be. Third thing, if we endure our hardship, we will be stronger for it. We know this, hard to do, easy to say, but if we can endure, we will become stronger for it. Number four, Our suffering can make us better people, not just bitter people. In other words, uh, the Bible talks about this fruit. Like as, as you grow and mature in your faith and in your walk and as a person, you start to develop this fruit. We, we, don't, uh, we call it the fruits of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faith, meekness, self-control. Those things begin to be developed in us as we go through the trial. Some of you, the patience thing is right there. How do I do this, God? Finally, a mature follower of Jesus gives God the glory in everything. It's this no matter what, God, I know you're in control. I know you're in charge. You see, mature people suffer well. Now, I definitely do not consider myself an expert in suffering. I don't. Many of you in here are much more accustomed. You've gone through some stuff that I have never experienced in my life. I don't wish for suffering to come upon me, but in the little suffering that I have had, I am able to see God's goodness on the other side of it. I am. Every single And when those times come upon me again, and they will, we're promised that it will, I want my response to be one of trust, not anxiety. I want my response to be one of trust, not accusation. God, you did this to me. James says, no, 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 God did not. See, I want to be a person 
who suffers well. I want to be a person who receives and responds well. Receives and responds well. How does James end as we end our time here today? How does he end this portion of scripture? James chapter 1 verse 12 says this. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Because afterwards, they'll receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Let me read that again. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation because afterward they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And you say, Tom, what is the crown of life? And I say to you, I'm not really sure. I'm not. Different scholars will disagree and, and kind of, but here's what it, I will say this. It sounds pretty good. In other words, this isn't some judgment or condemnation. There's something on the other side that God has for us, whether that's in heaven one day, whether that's here on earth, whether that's part of the definition of our, or our daily walk. I don't know, but whatever it is, God says, you're blessed. Suffer well. Get through it. Trust me. Here's the thing. I don't think James was trying to be a jerk. I don't. I don't think he was trying to be trite and try to minimize pain. He's the absolute wrong person to do that. Instead, he said, brothers and sisters, you need to hear this because you will go through this stuff. And the mature response is to go through it, but with God, knowing that he is there for you, knowing that he is good. He's sincerely trying to help us understand that suffering is a key marker in our lives. How we receive and respond is an indicator of our spiritual maturity. I want to say that again. How we receive things and respond to things is an indicator of our spiritual maturity. We can trust or we can accuse. And that is also an indicator of our spiritual maturity. See, here's the thing. It's never supposed to be about us. It's supposed to be about God's glory and God's purposes. We will not always understand it. He says, trust me. James had to say the thing that we all need to know, but don't necessarily want to hear it. Even though we know deep down, and maybe it's really deep down, and maybe you're even having a hard time coming to grips with it today, but what ultimately is going to glorify God and bring us to full maturity is going to be suffering well through difficulties, trials, temptations, and enduring to the end. And make no mistake, Christians are not exempt at all. If you're signing up for this thing because you think everything's going to be great from now on, you're sadly mistaken. We all are going to have pain, turmoil, trouble, even death. But when we can learn how to suffer well, I promise you, and you know this, it will leave a mark on the people around us. In some cases, it will leave a mark on a whole entire community when we're able to suffer well. I know we don't want to hear it. I'm not trying to be a downer today. I'm just saying, maybe you're not going through it. 
I'm just saying you will at some point. May God give us the grace and the help. And I'm going to talk about this, I think, again in the last week. So make sure you tune in because I want to resolve a couple things about maybe how we do this well. We're going after spiritual maturity. Suffer well. And we're going to be here for you. We're going to be here with you. Let's pray. Well, happy Sunday morning to us, God. Talking about suffering. Lord, in in no stretch at all do I want to minimize the pain that people are going through right now, even in this moment. God, I want them to know that you see it, that you hear it, that you are for them and not against them. God, I want you to give them wisdom. I'll ask on their behalf that you would give them wisdom to get through this thing and see it as a gift. That it's testing their faith and it's testing their love and it's testing their hope and it's testing their sincerity. And on the other side, they're gonna understand more about your will, your way, your purposes. God, I don't wanna be just someone who says this as the pastor on the stage. God, as troubles hit my life, I want to respond in just the same way. And I need other people around to help me remember this. God, we don't want to hear it, but we need to. And so help us to pull down our walls today to let that sink in. And we give you all the praise and all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.